Hey friends, thanks for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel today. We hope that God speaks to you in a personal, powerful way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Word of God with us. Good morning. I can read your minds. I know what you're thinking. Why are we doing a whole series on identity? What does that have to do with me? Right? Thank you. Identity, who you believe that you are, actually impacts every single decision that you make. So if you do not have a correct biblical identity, then you are never going to be able to fulfill the purpose you were created for. And if you don't fulfill the purpose you were created for, you are never going to be able to live a truly fulfilling life. So this has to do with every single one of us. Amen? So I'm going to start by asking you, who are you? If I were to ask you this question, we're just having a conversation, and I ask you, who are you, what would you say? You would probably tell me your name, right? If I already knew your name, somebody said, I'm a Christian. You know, if you look at me, I think about who am I. There are several ways I answer that. You know, I am a daughter. I'm somebody's daughter. I'm somebody's sister. I am a mother. I have three kids. I am a wife. Dan and I are celebrating our 20th anniversary on Wednesday. That is pretty exciting. We've done some crazy things together. Warrior Dash, Tough Mudder, raising three kids. <laughs> I don't know what's the craziest. Um, so I am a wife. That's a part of who I am. I am a woman. I wore my spring dress today. I don't know why. Bad decision. <laughs> um, I am a pastor. Um, what else about me? I am a very slow runner. Someday I'll tell you the story about how I ran a full marathon in six and a half hours. And by the time I finished, there were no more spectators. <laughs> there were hardly any volunteers. There was almost no food left. It was a wonderful experience. Um, uh, probably something you don't know about me is that I am an outstanding amateur comedian. If you don't believe me, just ask my kids. I have them rolling on the floor every single day, or at least rolling their eyes, which I think is a teenager's expression of joy, right? So something else you might not know about me is that I used to have a great fear of speed bumps, but I'm slowly getting over it. Come on. <laughs> That's funny, right? <laughs> uh, something else you might not know about me. I used to work in an orange juice factory, but I got canned. I just couldn't concentrate. <laughs> right? Come on, Zach. That's funny. All right. So I was driving with um, Libby on Friday. We were actually uh, getting our last minute uh, food and gifts for Zach. His birthday was yesterday. Say happy birthday to Zach. He turned 14 yesterday. So I was driving with Libby and we're driving down Kirkville Road and I saw a 
satellite dish on top of a house. And I said, hey, Libby, how much did that satellite dish cost? And she looked at me and said, I don't know. I said, nothing. It's on the house. <laughs> and let me tell you, I mean, I don't mean to brag, but I got the eye roll and the head tilt. <laughs> All right, so... If you want to know some really, uh, if you want to know more hilarious jokes, see me after service, okay? <laughs> all right, so all of these things that I'm sharing with you, um, they are a part of who I am. And they are a part of what fulfills me as a human being. But they're not the core of who I am, right? You know, it, they're not, these are not the things that I put my identity in. You know, if I put my identity in being a mother, what happens to me when my kids grow up and move away and start their own families and I'm left alone with myself? Has my identity changed? Now I become more of a background character in their life. What does that do to my identity? If I put my identity in a relationship, if my, if my identity is in my marriage or some other relationship, what happens if that person decides to leave? Or what happens if that person passes away? I, what happens to my identity? Am I no longer me anymore? You know, I don't know if you recognize this or not, but our culture is in the midst of a mass identity crisis. I, an identity crisis is when either you put your identity in something and then lose it, lose that thing you put your identity in. Maybe it's youth and beauty. We've heard of uh, midlife crisis, right? Because our, our culture puts, puts so much value on youth and beauty that when we start to notice these things fading, we kind of panic a little bit. Um, or an identity crisis can come when we just can't figure out who we are. We don't know who we really are, right? So our, our culture tells us and tell me if you recognize this message. Our culture tells us that our identity is found, our value, our fulfillment is found in figuring out what our deepest desires are and pursuing those things with everything in us until we achieve them. Okay? Tim Keller calls this the sovereign self. Sovereign means the supreme authority, the supreme, author the supreme rule in your life. So we make ourself and our desires the supreme ruler in our life. He says that sovereign self is the idea that we must discover our deepest desires and longings and then do all we can to realize them regardless of constraints or opposition. So there's this, this belief in our culture that says not only do I have to have the positive freedom to do whatever I choose and whatever I des desire, I also have to have absolute negative freedom. And now positive freedom is the freedom to do whatever you want. Negative freedom is the freedom from any constraints. That means nobody should be allowed to tell me that I can't do something. If this is my deepest desire, then nobody should stop me, nobody should hinder me, nobody should even tell me that that's not something I should be doing. That's absolute negative freedom, and that's what the culture tells us that we need in order to be fulfilled, in order to be happy. So I did a, you know, you might actually kind of... Uh, recognize that, that you believe some of these things. Because honestly, there is a kernel of truth in them. 
We were created to have goals. We were created to have desires. We were created to have dreams. And when God is a part of that equation, those things can be very fulfilling. But our, our culture goes a little too far and says the only thing that matters are your dreams and your goals and your desires. So I did a little search, and you can do this too. Just search the internet for motivational quotes. And some of the things that I found show that, you know, the things that we say to motivate ourselves show what we believe to be true. So some of these quotes are, if you dream it, you can do it. That was uh, attributed to Walt Disney. If you dream it, you can do it. Live your best life. Live your best life. Live your truth. Be your authentic self. Right? So these are some messages that we get as motivational quotes. Now we have a couple quotes up here um, that I found, and I have no idea who any of these people are. But I just searched motivational quotes, and these are some things that came up that show the type of thinking that I'm talking about. So the first is Brian Tracy. You have this one? All, success, all successful people, men and women, are big dreamers. They imagine what their future could be. Ideal in every respect. And then they work every day toward their distant vision, that goal, or that purpose. Do you see this idea of sovereign self here? What I want most, that's what I put all my energy into. That's how I'm going to be fulfilled. The next one is H. Jackson Brown Jr. He says this, never give up on what you really want to do. The person with big dreams, catch this, the person with big dreams is more powerful than the one with all the facts. Facts don't matter anymore. Truth doesn't matter anymore. Dreams are what matter. Feelings are what matter. Your deepest desires are what matter. And then this last one here, Nikita Koloff, this I think perfectly um, uh, summarizes this idea of sovereign self. Capture your dreams and your life becomes full. You can because you think you can. Now this actually sounds kind of appealing, right? I want to be able to capture my dreams. I really do think that my life will become full if I get my deepest desires. But there are a couple of problems with this kind of thinking that, that the culture is not going to tell you these problems. And the first is that your desires, your deepest desires, the things that you want most, a lot of times they can be blocked by another person or by something, right? So one of the things that I always wanted growing up, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm the second eldest of nine children. And growing up, I always wanted to be a mom. I wanted to have a big family. I wanted to have lots of kids. It was one of the desires of my heart from probably the age of around six or seven. I just wanted to be a mom. And Dan and I, we met, we were 27 years old when we met. We were 27 years old when we got married. <laughs> and we waited about three years to start having kids. And when we first started, uh, we actually got pregnant right away as soon as we started uh, trying to have kids. No issue. Then we went in, you know, we had our doctor's appointments. We got to the point where we, we went in for our 12-week um, sonogram. And the doctor said the baby has died somewhere, sometime during this past week. So we lost our first pregnancy, which was absolutely devastating. 
for both of us. And then a couple months after that, we got pregnant again. No problem getting pregnant. As soon as we started trying, we got pregnant. We lost that baby at around six weeks. And all of a sudden, I started to be faced with the fact that I may never actually be able to have children. What if my body never enables me to carry a child full term? Now, I, I knew that we could adopt. I knew that we could become parents. But I, I was grieving the fact that I may never have biological children of my own. And that was a desire of my heart that I had to face the fact that that desire might be blocked. I may never achieve that. If that had happened, and I know some of you understand what I went through, and some of you are going through it right now, would that mean that I could not live a fulfilling life, that I couldn't really be truly me because that deepest desire was blocked? And I had to wrestle with that. I had to deal with that. And then we ended up getting pregnant. Well, I decided I'm going to solve this problem myself. We're just not going to try to get pregnant anymore. <laughs> and then um, a friend of ours said, you know, if you want to have kids, you're going to have to keep trying. And that involves risk because you may lose more pregnancies. You don't know. But we ended up getting pregnant that fall, and we had Libby. And two years later, we had Zach. And three years after that, we had Grace. And we probably would have had more kids after that, but we were way too old to not sleep anymore. <laughs> so we have three, three here on earth. We adore them, and two in heaven that we'll get to meet someday. You know, so, so this, you know, think about your desires. You, if you have a desire for career or promotion, the problem is, Somebody might be able to block that desire. Somebody could give that promotion to somebody else. Your desires could be blocked. There's another problem that our culture is not going to tell you about your deepest desires, and that is sometimes you achieve them, and all of a sudden you look around and realize, I don't feel any different. I'm not any more fulfilled than I was when I was trying to figure out what my desires were. I'm not any more fulfilled than when I worked every day towards this goal. I remember when, when Dan and I, when we first got married, he had a little um, Cape Cod in East Syracuse, small little house. And we decided that with, with both of us working, we're going to try to get that house paid off so that I could be a stay-at-home mom, which I did for 14 years. And uh, so we worked really hard. We were dedicated and committed. We got that mortgage paid off. And after a couple weeks, we looked at each other and we're like, I don't really feel any different. <laughs> And we were super excited for this goal, and we were glad that we did it, but we're like, I don't know, we thought it was going to be a little more exciting, a little more fulfilling, and life goes on, and things kind of feel the same. And that happens a lot of times. You know, this is why a lot of marriages fail, because people put so much hope in their spouse to fulfill them, then they get married, and they look at this person and say, you're not fulfilling me at all. You're not making me happy at all. As a matter of fact, you're kind of annoying, so I'm out of here. I'm going to find this. I got my desire wrong. I'm going to find something else that's going to fulfill me. And it's not you, buddy. I've seen the way you squeeze the toothpaste tube now. It's over, right? <laughs> so these are the two problems. Your, your, your deepest desires could be blocked or you get there and realize that they are not fulfilling at all. So what is the answer? Who are you? If, it's not, if I don't find my identity and my deepest desires and pursuing what myself tells me I want, who am I? Well, the answer to that is found in the pages of Scripture. 
the answer to your authentic self, who you really are, is found in the pages of Scripture. And the reason why is because the author of Scripture is the creator of your soul. So he knows the purpose you're created for. So if you want to know the purpose you're created for, you have to look into the Scripture. Now, um, Abby, I'm going to ask that you just leave it on this slide for a minute, and I'll let you know when to show those pictures. But last week, when Pastor Rich was preaching, he introduced this um, topic of identity. And he was preaching on this. And I had this vision as he was preaching. I saw... A mirror like this that the devil was holding up in front of every single person in this whole sanctuary. He had a different mirror for every single person that was in this sanctuary, including me, including Pastor Rich. Every one of us, he had this mirror and he's showing it to us. And we're looking at this mirror and it's like, but it's not just a regular mirror like this one. It's, a, it's like a funhouse mirror. And it's showing us a distorted view of who we are. So all of us, I, you know, I'm seeing this in my mind. I'm seeing this picture of the devil holding up this, this distorted mirror in front of every single one of us. And I started to get a little angry. Because here we are looking at this distorted image of ourselves, thinking that's the truth thinking I'm looking in a mirror. I'm seeing who I really am. It's a mirror. That's me, right? But it's distorted. It's not true. So I went home and I told my family about this vision that I saw. And I asked my son if he would sketch it. So can you show us that one, Abby? So Zach just quickly sketched this for me last Sunday after service. I said, I want to see like a really powerful, strong guy, like a warrior type guy looking in this mirror and he sees this distorted image. So the devil is, do you see how wickedly gleeful he is? He's showing this strong, muscular guy a picture of himself as a weak, sad little stick figure. So this is, this is one of the ways that the enemy comes at us. He, he shows us a deflated view of ourselves. He says, you are less than. God would never want you. God can't forgive you. Look at your past. Look at the sin that you're caught up in. God doesn't want you. you God can't use you. You're weak. You're pathetic, right? Can you show us that next slide now, Abby? So Joey put this together for me, Pastor Joey. It's not quite as good as Zach's, but I'll use it anyhow. So his, do you see this warrior here, and there's a distorted picture, right? He's not seeing, he can't be effective. He doesn't see a clear picture of who he is. So one of the ways the enemy does that is he shows us a deflated view of ourselves. The other way is he shows us an inflated view of ourselves. You are good enough. You do not need Jesus. What do you need to be redeemed from? You're not that bad. Everyone else is way worse than you. So he shows us this inflated view of ourselves. See, the gospel has two parts. 
the first part, I'm sorry to say, is bad news. The bad news is you are far worse than you could ever imagine. That is part of the gospel. We have all fallen. We have all sinned. Romans 3.23 says this, Yes, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal. That is part of the gospel. The other part of the gospel is you are far more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. Yes, you are far worse than you could ever imagine, but you're far more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. Romans 5, 8 says this, but, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. This is the second part of the gospel. His love, is, his love for us is so great that he died while we were still sinners. Now what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get you to look at one side of the gospel or the other. He'll get you to look at, you have fallen short of God's glorious ideal. God wants nothing to do with you. He doesn't want to have a relationship with you at all. He died for the decent people, the okay people. You're not that. Or he gets you to look at the other side of the gospel and say, God loves you so much. He would never tell you what you're doing is wrong. He would never condemn you. You're perfectly fine the way you are. So he keeps us from seeking God's redemption by blinding us to the truth. Now, when we're thinking about this mirror, we're thinking about this distorted image. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's talking about a veil. And I'm not talking about a veil like a bridal veil that's like sheer and you can see through it. You know, you can see her beautiful makeup and earrings and necklace. You know, the veil is just there like a decoration. This is a veil that covers, that conceals. And he's talking about, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, do you remember when Moses would go in to the presence of God and when he came out, his face was glowing so much that the people freaked out and said, cover your face. So he put a veil on to cover the glory that was shining. So the Apostle Paul reminds us of that, and then he comes to verse 15, so we can look at verse 15 here. says, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So what he's talking about here is the Jewish people of the day, when they read the Old Testament, their heart is still covered with a veil so they don't understand what they're reading, and they don't see that Christ is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. There's a veil that covers their understanding. And then he says this, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, and he's talking about Jesus here, but he doesn't just say Jesus, he says Lord, meaning supreme authority. Not sovereign self, but sovereign Jesus. When a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now we can see clearly. Now we can understand Verse 17 says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to, the glo to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. What does it mean to be transformed from glory to glory? That means as we look to Jesus as Lord, we have to turn away from this distorted mirror that the enemy is trying to show us. 
we turn to Jesus as Lord and we say, you are in charge. I'm going to do what you say, not what I want. And as that happens, a little bit here, a little bit there, one step at a time, Jesus polishes up our little mirror and we reflect him a little more clearly. We begin to look a little more Christ-like. We begin to look a little bit more like him. The New Living Testament says it this way, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we as Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works in us, we become more and more like him. So why is this important? What does this have to do with our identity to become more and more like Jesus? In order to find that out, you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which says this. So God created man, that means humanity, in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This is what Tim Keller says when he's preaching about the sovereign self. He said, what we need to know, what the scripture tells us is that our identity is not achieved, it is received. So I want you to say that after me, because I really want you to get that. Say, my identity is received, not achieved. So what do I mean by this? You were created in the image of God. Now we have a, do we have that slide that shows, this is the history of, of all creation. This is the story of history. It starts with creation. These are the four stages of history. Creation, then the fall into sin, then redemption, then restoration. Ultimate restoration comes when we have a new heavens and a new earth and everything is back to the way it was created to be, right? So your life mirrors the story of history. You were created in the image of God. You fell into sin. That, that image is now marred. Jesus came to redeem you and restore you to the image of God to reflect his glory. So when you do that, when you look to Jesus as Lord, you are transformed into his image a little bit at a time, polishes up your mirror here, then he goes to this spot and polishes it up there so that we are ultimately restored to what we were created to be. That's where we find fulfillment. Our identity is received. It's not achieved. Now what the enemy does is he tries to blind us. He tries to block us somewhere in here. Where he wants to block us is right at the fall and keep us in sin. We already talked about how he does that. He lies to you and says, you're good enough on your own or you're so bad God never wants you and tries to keep us from being redeemed. 2 Corinthians 4, this is just a few verses later, says this, uh, verses 3 and 4, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Christ as Lord, not the sovereign self, but sovereign Jesus. 
Our identity is received. It is not achieved. Maybe today you have not been redeemed. Maybe today you have been redeemed. Can we go back to that slide with the four stages there? Maybe you have been redeemed, but the the enemy is still trying to blind you with the same tactics to keep you from being restored to the image of God and keep you from reflecting Christ in your life. And he does that by pointing out your sin, pointing out your past, pointing out your failures, pointing out your flaws, or pointing out other people's stuff so that you say, I'm looking pretty good here. (laughs) I don't really think I need anything. I'm fine on my own, right? So I'm going to pray for you before we close today because I've got good news for you about your identity. Your identity is not something that you have to achieve. It's something that you can just receive as you turn to Jesus as Lord. So before we close here, I'm going to pray, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord, if you have not been redeemed yet, I'm going to pray with you right now. Lord Jesus, just, just pray this with me in your own heart, in your own words. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I have let the enemy blind me. And today I'm choosing to turn to you as Lord and to turn away from this distorted image that the enemy is trying to show me and turn to the good news of salvation, that although I am far worse than I could ever imagine, I am far more loved than I can ever imagine. And I receive you as Lord and give you my life. And, and for those of you who are stuck between this redemption and restoration, I want you to look at, let's look at that slide again. And I want you to write these down if you have a pen and paper. Put them in your notes if you have your phone. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Because you can pray through these so you can start walking in your identity. Just pray this right now. Say, Lord, I know that I was created in your image, but that I fell into sin. I thank you that you died to redeem me and to restore me to my ultimate purpose. I ask that you would open my eyes to the truth of my identity, of who I am in Christ, so that the devil will not keep me from being restored into the image of God that you created for me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Your identity is received. It's not achieved. Sovereign Jesus, not sovereign self. Amen. I'm going to give you a little homework to do this week. You, uh, Pastor Rich talked about this, that cruise is open today. We have four crews that are going to be studying the supernatural ways of royalty. Four of them, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Wednesday night's crew is a Zoom crew. So you have no excuses. You can come in person. You can go to the Zoom crew. Get into a crew. If you absolutely cannot get into a crew that's studying the supernatural ways of royalty, at least get the book and read the book as we go through this series on identity. Amen? Can you do that? All right. God bless you guys. Let's worship Jesus together. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel. 
You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's our hope that you will make today that day to call upon the name of the Lord and to give your life to him. If you'd like to speak to a pastor, please take out your phone, text 315-444-2100, and somebody from our team will be in touch with you. Also, if you're making the decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, text the word Jesus to that number, 315-444-2100, and we would love to celebrate with you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.